Hey there, and welcome to Yes, a Stripper Podcast. On this podcast, we'll discuss how classifying each other as people and workers is dangerous to society and marginalized groups of people. We'll also talk about the climate in and outside of the strip clubs and all of the amazing things that strippers do. And of course, we'll talk about all of the things in between. I'm your queen, A.M. Davies, and this is Yes, a Stripper Podcast. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Yes, a Stripper Podcast. I'm your host, A.M. Davies, and we have an excellent guest today. Her name is Valerie Hager. But before we get to her, I want to talk to you about, you know, my thoughts for this particular episode. And uh, something that I think about a lot when it comes to stripping and being a stripper are all the misconceptions that we deal with. And I think one of my favorite things to do in public settings and social settings now is to sort of dispel those misconceptions. I think my favorite ones are um, that we're supporting our drug habit, uh, that we're supporting our child, or that we're putting we're working to put ourselves through school as if we should only be stripping in order to create that income to do any one of those three things. When in actuality, there are plenty of us that do this for an actual career because we absolutely love what we're doing. Some people do it for two years. Some people do it for 26 years. So, you know, it is a complete misconception that we're just literally doing this to buy our next bag of speed. Um, I'm here to tell you the majority of dancers that I've ever worked with are not dancing to support their drug habit. And yes, strippers have a lot of kids because strippers are women and women have children. And yes, some of us go to school and some of us don't. So uh, just like normal people, some people go to school and have a side job to pay for it and some don't. So it's, um, you know, but I'm, I'm here to tell you I don't have any of those three things. I hated school. I really don't want to have kids. And I started doing drugs before I became a stripper. So and after, to be quite honest. So my drug habit had nothing to do with being a stripper. So um, we're going to talk about some other misconceptions today with our beautiful, beautiful guest, Valerie Hager. I'm saying your last Hi. name correctly, yes, right? Yes, Hager, Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming and being with me today. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, I watched your play on video. I really wish I would have seen it in person. I heard rave reviews, um, Naked in Alaska, you guys, Mm -hmm. um, and it's not running anymore, correct? It's on hiatus right now. Okay. Do you have plans of bringing it back? I have, you know, the thing of it is, is um, in the past couple of years, there's been a past, it's so, so bootleg in 2017, November, November, October, November was the last performance. Okay. And since then, there's been a lot of life stuff and a lot of changes and um, something's really hard and something's really great. Yeah. And so that play itself is kind of a beast to put up. And Totally. I could see that. Yeah. So can you tell our audience about that play and what, you know, what it is, what it's about? And for yeah. those people who don't know. Yes. It's videoing. Yeah, you can okay. look or not Hi. look. You can look at me or look um, at that. Yeah. <laughs> so Naked in Alaska is um, it's a one-woman play that I wrote with the help of my husband and a writing mentor. Um, and I wrote it about my experience. It's really, is, is in a nutshell, it's about my experience dancing um, for, you know, over a decade. And it also really talks to um, who I was 
before I started dancing at, you know, I was a, I was a kid full of self-hate and, you know, just trying to run from everything that hurt. And so I was riddled with, you know, eating disorders and self-harm and, um, and that's how the show opens. And then it blasts us, you know, a few years ahead where I'm clean from meth. And um, on this very day that it blasts us into, I, uh, you know, I get dumped by my boyfriend. I, uh, you know, get served $3,500 in civil assessment charges, lose my job. Everything goes to shit. And I storm into the house of my best friend at the time in the play. I call her Raven. And she gives me the perfect solution, which is like, come with me to Tijuana and let's make some fucking money. And then that was supposed to be one night. And then that turned into, you know, the next, you know, however, 10, 11 years. And in the play, it really focuses on my time in Alaska, hence Naked in Alaska. Right. And really what it talks to is not only the implosion of my friendship that um, with my best friend at that time, but how that ultimately... I I had to inside of these clubs end up facing what every everything I was running from which was all of everything inside out. I was someone who right. was like looking on the outside for this or that or this to give me the sense of desire and love and tribal acceptance that I needed, right. but I was refusing to actually do those things for myself. Mm-hmm. And at the end at the heart of it, Naked in Alaska really looks at um, how basically what I believe, well, I know what I was after, what I think we're all after, is something that can only be satiated from the inside out. Right. You know? And yeah. that's ultimately what happens in the show is that um, that 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 my dark night of soul, that's what it is, that I realize that's what I have to do. And it sounds easy, but it's fucking hard, as we all know. It's right. really hard. Right. Um. So all of everything in the play is is real. It hundred percent actually happened. Yes. Yeah. And something that I found interesting, and it's like what I just said in my opening thought was that you were um, using meth before you were exactly. a stripper, and it's like the misconception is that we start stripping and then we start doing drugs. It sounds like stripping almost helped you stay yeah. away. Is is a was there any like correlation there between like drug use and stripping for you like did it help you kind of stay away from that or what how was that for you if you don't mind yeah no I don't mind at all and definitely I started using methods I don't maybe I was like 14 or something like that yeah you know and I stopped at 18 and then I started stripping at uh 20 something around there okay and my best friend at the time was sober clean and sober too yeah and so yeah we uh, rocketed into that, you know, um, clean as a whip, you know. Wow, amazing. And I think that it was, you know, also I found a sense of family in those clubs. Yeah. I, sa- I, I found a sisterhood. I found, I actually found like an incredible amount of confidence and empowerment and grit. And then there was a bunch of other stuff that came later too. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? But in those early years, in those early years, it really was the foundation that I was looking for. The yeah. structure that I yes. needed actually. Yeah, structure, stability, yeah. Um, comfort, um, normalcy. You know, yeah. you go in and you see the same people and you're doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I definitely think about that um, with like my early stripping days as well mm-hmm. in the nude clubs, you know, you check in with the DJ and you, 
you know, you pick your spot that you get dressed in every time and yeah. the dressing room. And, yeah, there's, like, a very specific smell inside yes. the dressing room, right? <laughs> it feels like you're at home. Yeah, yeah. it's that's really interesting. Um, what was it like dancing in Tijuana? I can't even imagine. Oh, it was, it was just exhilarating. <laughs> really? It was exhilarating. And I remember that we were we drove Avenida Revolution or something like that, <laughs> yeah. I think was the street. And, and my friend at the time, let's call her Raven, she um, drove up this circular parking garage. And I didn't know when it was going to end, like when we were going to ever get to the top. And at the top of it was where this club existed. And it, but it was like you couldn't get in unless like they had they looked they looked from the inside out no to way. let you in and then later that night she tells me that that somebody had been shot in there like some mexican mafia and i was so stoked i was like so young and like looking for any risk and adventure yeah. because obviously i'd already had that from being a meth addict so i was hungry for <laughs> however i could get yeah. that but you know here i am clean adrenaline and sober rush. yeah adrenaline. so i'm like oh my god so that made it like even more exciting yeah but I remember most of all was um, how I saw these women and I felt at the time they were older than me. They looked older than me. Even if they weren't older than me, they looked like full-fledged women. And yes. I was still half girl, half woman. Okay. And I remember this was the first time I'd ever seen like a real one. That's yeah. how I felt. And I, and I remember her name too. Her name was Nikki. Yeah. And I just remember thinking how how impossible it will be for me to get to be a Nikki. Yeah. But I knew that maybe there was a glimpse of hope. Yeah, you just triggered a memory for myself. And I, I kept these journals as a teenager when I was discovering what it's like to be a woman. And I would draw women's bodies and write poetry about women's bodies and how mm. beautiful they are. And I would draw women's feet in the, in the shoes. And, um, and I would just like I was in awe of any woman that was presenting herself in a glamorous way. And yeah. Because um, I stumbled upon my grandfather's Playboy magazines when I was like 13 or 14. And I was just like, when I found this, I was like turning the pages so slowly one by one, like with my eyes <laughs> wide open. And I was like, what is this magic I'm seeing? Yeah. So it's cause sort of sounds like you went through that same thing when you were looking at them up on the stage. It's yeah. almost like in awe of them, but also knowing that you have the same power that they do. Yeah, I felt like maybe I I knew that there was it was it was maybe like I knew that maybe it was in me, but I didn't really know how to access it at that sure. point. Sure. Yeah. But I do remember that when I stepped on it was actually a little it had to we had to walk on little stairs and then it was a circular stage. Yeah. And I walked on the little stairs and you would think that I would have been, you know, terrified or whatever. But I swear to God, I stood up on that stage and I was like, I'm gonna make every motherfucker in here love me. Yeah. And that's all it was. Yeah. And my eyes lit up and I had already been performing because my dad is a you know, mime artist and movement artist. Oh, your dad's a mime? My dad is a real mime. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, like legit. I don't think I've ever met a real mime IRL real mime. before. Real mime, Amazing. like made has a house and made his. You know, is, <laughs> you know like not a glass house, not a glass house, not a street performer, not a busker. <laughs> like made his life out of miming. Yeah, and so I already and I had I'd watched my dad as as a young girl performing this work, you know, in front of people on, you know, by himself and moving crowds. Wow. And I, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I had already been acting. Yeah. And so for me, it was an extension of that. It was an expression of myself. And I already had had this kind of body connection. Right. You know, amazing. And so for me, I didn't know, obviously, that day how to do tricks or even spin on a pole. But I knew how to open my eyes. Right. You know. Yeah. I knew how to take somebody in. Yeah. Yeah. So was that when you would perform, was eye contact really important to you? Because it really varies from person to person. Was that something you felt comfortable with? I felt so comfortable with it because... um, until I couldn't do it anymore, and that's another thing. Uh-huh. But that was the way in which I communicated mm-hmm. on stage um, for most of my time dancing um, because I'm, I was always really after this soulful connection. I was always after interesting something else, even if that something else was kind of like covered in, in beast and mess and muck. Yeah. So that actually brings me to the point. One of the things that really moved me while watching your play is um, the compassion that you, the compassionate experiences that you had with some of your regulars or just random customers. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people don't realize, like how much of our work and time as strippers and sex workers is spent comforting. others that are either going through a hard time or feel like an outcast if they reveal their true identity or true desires. And we spend so much time talking and listening to and comforting and holding them. Sometimes they just want to be held. And that happened in your play with one particular customer where he literally wanted you to hold him and he cried. And then the other one that really moved me was the one that you call Bernie, I think. Burned man. Burned man. Yeah, Yeah, because he lost everything. He lost his house. He lost his wife. And it's probably really hard for him to find connection. And all he wanted during your lap dances with you was to really feel connected Mm -hmm. with another person and with a woman specifically Mm -hmm. because he's missing being next to a woman. Can you talk about those two experiences specifically and and what those were like for you? And and also about the misconceptions surrounding like what we do as far as with our clients. Yeah, absolutely. So... And just giving it also a little more context. So in the play, I play 12 different characters. I play the women that I danced with, the men that I danced for. Um, I play, you know, the guy that I was in the relationship with. Right. I play myself and him in scenes. I go back and forth. One woman show. Yeah, one woman show. So get that. And um, it's like, (laughs) right? Um, (laughs) It's absolutely, first of all, I just want to interrupt you. Your work is 
absolutely stunning and incredible. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of talent and skill that goes into what you did was just mind blowing. So, and I'm sure you've heard that time and time again. So, thank you so um, much. Yeah, though. if you ever get a chance to see this play, it's literally like I did feel like there were all those different characters on stage, even though it was you playing them. Oh so, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, of course. And so, you know, one of one of the ways in in excavating this time period was really pulling out those experiences that I mean literally and I was as I was driving here today I I felt I thought to myself I I feel like just yesterday it was like just yesterday with some of these experiences because they are so ingrained in my heart Mm -hmm. and it's almost like they're just like they're never gonna leave and they're just there and I'm just okay with it and Mm -hmm. it's just the way that it is and burned man is one of them Mm mm-hmm and so there was this guy, his name was Rob, um, but we called him Burned Man, and half of his body was burned, and his face, as I say in the play, looked like it was melted to one side, mm-hmm. and he was, the other side of his face was incredibly handsome, mm-hmm. and he was like seven feet tall, and he would come stumbling into the club, drunk, it was a nude club. We didn't have alcohol, so he came with, you know, little bottles in his pockets. And yeah. you know what I mean? Yes, I and- know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and he would um, sit there, and he would call me Spring, even though my name was Autumn. <laughs> and he would continue to tell me the same story over again. And the story was that he fell asleep with a cigarette in his mouth, and that cigarette dropped and basically slowly burned his entire house down. Um, I don't know if it was a smoke inhalation or or what it was, but ultimately his wife died in the fire and he uh, barely survived. And he was riddled with guilt and grief. Yeah. And he, uh, it was as if in that moment his life stopped. Yeah. And he came every night. And he would sit onto this couch and his arms would expand just huge, like almost the whole sides of the couch they would take over. And all he wanted to do was just tell this story over again and have someone hear it. Maybe if he told it this time. It would turn out different, maybe. It would turn out different. Yeah. And he would close his eyes and he would smell me and he would smell whoever it was that was dancing for him. And it was like. In that moment, it was like, he's not a customer, and I'm not a dancer. And we're just these two human beings Mm -hmm. that are looking for some kind of reprieve and some kind of, like, moment where we can just be without all of the fucking shit that's on our backs and surrounds us that keeps us from fucking being free. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, one time, in fact, Burned Man... (laughs) Um, I was uh, in the kitchen. Anyway, we lived at the club in Alaska, so we lived downstairs. And then we went upstairs, you know, my my friend and I went upstairs after work. And it's confusing, but there was a kitchen in the back, and we were making tofu burritos and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And Shannon tells me to go get a knife in the bar, and the lights are off, and I'm searching for the light, and I turn it on, and I scream because Burn Man is on the couch. <laughs> and the cl- <laughs> it's not, it's closed already. It's like, it's not his time to be there. And I'm like, ah! and I call out, you know, Raven. And she comes in with a fucking, like, the other knife that she was cutting the onions with. And yeah. she's like, what the fuck? Anyway, he had fallen asleep in the uh, men's stall. 
okay. corner, in the corner of the men's stall. He told us later, and he wasn't, the security guard didn't find him. And it was almost like he felt like he was home. Yeah. And we carried him to his truck, and it was super snowing, and, and sorry, it was super, super snowy and freezing. And we carried him to his truck, and we had somebody come and drive him home. And yeah. it was just like, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know what ever happened to that guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know a lot of people like that I look back on fondly, and I'm yeah. like, what happened to Uncle Lou, you know? And so, like, yeah, there are some customers that if, over time we would, like, consider them an older uncle or, you know, a long-lost cousin, older cousin, or, like, they become, like, your family or these people that you really care about, like, your, your like, your distant family, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I knew a guy named Uncle Lou. He's much older, and he would fly us to Vegas and give us free hotel rooms because he gambled all the time. And all he wanted to do was have buffet dinners with us. <laughs> and then we would just do our own thing the whole rest of the day and the whole rest of the night because he would gamble. And he just wanted to have buffet meals with us. Yes. So he wasn't alone. And then and that was it. There was nothing ever weird. We never stayed in the room with him. And not not that, you know— any other type of sex work would have been weird, but it, it wasn't that way. It was the, the sex work we did with him was just to spend time with him and just be mm. near him. And I think that's where people get confused. Like sex work isn't all about actually having sex. Right. It's about being with the other sex and providing comfort and companionship. Um, I spent about 80% of my career talking with and just being with people um, and then obviously lap dancing. And then there's something else that happened in your play where you you basically called one of the dancers dirty dancers mm. or and then so that's when we talk about dirty dancers, which is something that I particularly you know, I become more woke to over time. Mm-hmm. I used to use that term a lot as well. Those were during my whore phobic days. But then I myself would, was starting to evolve and starting mm-hmm. to feel more comfortable doing extras with certain people. And I noticed that you had, like, a similar situation where you're like, oh, she's dirty. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, you're shoving your nipple in someone's mouth. Yeah. And you're like, oh, what's yeah. that say about me? That's right. Yeah, I've done that plenty of times, shove my right. nipple in people's mouth. Because, like, it, I, like I liked it. Like, well, I wanted to do it. A part of that, uh, and, and a part of the reason that that is in the show is for that very reason, which is the show Naked in Alaska is not to say this is bad, this is good, this sure. is the way, this isn't the way. It's to bring the things in which I kept hidden and to put them into the light for everybody to see. Right. And so at the time, it's to it's the consciousness of myself at the time when I was working in these clubs and I was acting as if I was up here, I was at this higher place, and these people were down here. And then what happens is that paradigm switches switches in an instant. Yeah. And then there I am. And then what does that mean? And that's just even like that's just like a, a micro of of how that shit happens all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. and 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 so. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like wanting you to see that 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 this is how I judged her and then wanting you to see this is exactly how I did exactly what she did too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that there's no shame in either one. So like when I look back and think about how I spoke of other dancers and that I've grown and developed over time, yeah. there's I, I don't like to shame my older self. 
that was just education that was about overcoming ignorance um and and looking back on my behavior with certain customers there's no shame in that either and we spend so much time especially as women um being told that if you have too much sex or spread whatever around that you're a whore and then that's bad um and that you're lesser than um, whereas when men do it, it's like celebrated and, oh, he's a stud, right. you know. Um, and so I think it's really important for people to to understand that, like, just because we're women, we can do whatever we choose with our bodies. And why be why even be judged for that? Exactly. Why? Yeah. yeah. And then as women, why judge other women for what they choose to yeah. do, you know? Um, a lot of people have asked me in the past, too, like, oh, did you, like, do X, Y, and Z with customers or did you ever, like, get off? And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because <laughs> they're people. Yeah. And I'm a person. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretending like I'm sexually turned on and eventually I'm going to start to believe it or maybe I will be turned on, you know. Yeah. It's that there's, you know, everything is gray. It's it's often not a very rarely is it a black and white. Sometimes it is, but most of the time right. it's gray. Yeah. And, you know, Naked in Alaska takes place, by the way, before um, pole dancing was a trend, before Me Too movement, before there was even um, this the as a, in the kind of like mainstream culture, like right. this kind of talk about what it means to be a sex worker or, um, right. you know, a lot of things are being brought to the forefront, which is amazing. But this show talks about a time before all of that. Right. You know, and also um, when there wasn't really the, the consciousness where we are, you know, supporting each other or you know, wanting to raise awareness. Right. It was more of this time of, like, fighting for your place and figuring it out, you know, being thrown into the wolf den and, like, you know, uh, it kind of being, as as we know now, like, stripped of most of your money and, yeah. you know, um, not really having any uh, support or safety. Yeah. Um, and finding a way to rise above that anyway. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's interesting, and I'm glad that you brought up that this play came out before pole dancing was, like, this huge thing, as we were just talking earlier about what's happening with pole dancing being in this new light via celebrities, via movies, music videos, glamorizing pole dancing but leaving out the conversation about the people who were pole dancing before pole dancers. Yes. <laughs> I, I, and, you know, it's just like sometimes it's the small things. And, and, and I, as I was saying to you earlier, I haven't I haven't um, worked in, in the clubs for a while, <laughs> you know, but it's still a pole dancing and expressing myself through that with the grit that I carry from that time is still in my life. Right. You know. And I think that so you still feel connected oh, to it, absolutely. Even though you're not necessarily doing it anymore, yeah, a hundred percent, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, uh, it, it's it's just one of those things. It's like it's just a part of the blood that pumps through me. Right. It just is, you right. know. And that's and and not to mention that uh, that not just naked in Alaska, but I've written five other pieces, and they talk about my time as an exotic dancer, as an escort. They talk about this, and so 
it's it it is in my work. It's in the way that I move. It's yeah. in the way that I work with women. You know, um, but yeah, it 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 was uh, yeah, it was a time before the time before. Yeah. So how do you? What are your thoughts? I'd really like to have a conversation with you about what's happening currently. Like pole dancing being in the movie Hustlers, pole dancing being at the Super Bowl, pole dancing being in countless music videos i mean usher and bruno yeah. mars and tyga and uh kali i'm so bad with what the kids are listening to <laughs> i'm, I'm sorry really i'm gonna I'm, stop I'm trying to list rappers names i'm so sorry um i like the old school rappers I'm, I'm like tupac and biggie <laughs> and outcast um okay but yeah what are your thoughts on on what's currently taking place <sighs> Yes, I know. I think <laughs> I remember that even before this, the, the those people, um, there was a pole dance. Uh, what I guess what you would say, like a, 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 a I would say a pole dance star. So yeah, okay. Um, and she was on a talk show. Okay, and she and this is years ago, so her opinions may have changed. Hopefully, um, and she on the talk show said, "I am not a stripper. I am a pole dancer." And she made this huge distinction between what a stripper is and what a pole dancer is, and that she is definitely not that one. And it was as if being a stripper or, have, or someone who works in sex or is a sex worker is somehow less than yeah. a pole dancer. Yeah. And I responded to, and then it went on to YouTube, and I responded to it, and I just remember feeling like fucking fiery flames coming up in mm-hmm. me because I felt like. Every single move that I see out there, I saw from the girls that I worked with in Tijuana, in Alaska, in Arizona, in Hawaii, in Vegas, in Los Angeles, back in 1997. And if I saw that, then I know that they had probably seen some, you know, somebody doing that before Before them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it was like there are these pole stars that are wonderful athletes, but they're claiming as if they created these things right and this way of moving and i'm sure that there are some that are have but yeah they're not claiming that they made the moves the claims the ones that claim that they're not a stripper and and really draw that hard line in the sand they're claiming that pole dancing began in the 12th and 15th century with chinese men in china and indian men in india and they're all dead now um, and we owe pole dancing to them. Yes. I read about that in the Fistful of Steel. Oh, thanks. Yes. That's the movie that ah, I'm making that I'm yes. working really hard on making that's taking forever to make. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the other thing is that separation, however, you know, however I heard her speak about it, she was making a clear distinction mm-hmm. that one was better and one was was less. Yeah. One was more and one was less. Right. And I felt like the other thing that's happening that we talked about is that you have, you know, Jennifer Lopez yes. doing this stuff at Super Bowl and you have her, you know, shining in this light. And as we were talking about, she's not actually talking about any of the real stuff that's happening. Right. Yeah. And the real stuff that's happening is pole dancer, regardless of sex worker or stripper, pole dancers, especially in the summer of 2019, were blocked, deleted, banned, shadow banned. Um, 
denied uh, any type of position on the exploration page, denied advertisements, losing business, losing engagement, freaking out, losing their minds. Pole dancers all over the world, summer 2019. That was not that long ago. It's February 2020 right now. Um, and, uh, and then not to happen, not to mention what's happening to sex workers on a regular basis where ever since the signing of FOSTA and SESTA, sex workers and strippers are constantly being fucked with, deleted, being sh- like shit on by plenty of trolls and also sometimes being shit on by the pole dance community in some ways, um, and violations at work, labor law violations, constant abuses at work, um, death rate gone up since the signing of FOSTA-SESTA. And, you know, that's not being talked about. So you're taking this pole dance activity and you're glamorizing it on these massive worldwide stages and you're not using your voice to talk about the issue. That's like buying sponges made of walnuts. Those are the types of sponges I made. Bye-bye. So recyclable. <laughs> it's like buying those and just because you think they're cute. Yeah. It, because my sponges are all white and they're made of walnuts and they're really cute sponges. I don't buy the sponge because it's cute. Right. I buy it because it's good for the planet. Mm-hmm. So are you going to do pole dancing because it's cute? Or are you going to do it because you want to create a message to empower more women that are constantly being exploited right. and fucked with? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And all I want is for them to stand up and say something. It's just use yeah, their very, exactly. very loud, powerful voice. That's all I'm asking. And it could make a huge difference. I mean, it could bring so, I mean, just just like a paragraph of speaking, you know? Yeah. Just like a paragraph in an article interview. Or an Instagram post. Or an Instagram post. <laughs> I mean, it takes, the smallest of things mean everything. Yeah. The smallest of things mean everything. Yeah. It could change. It could change the consciousness and the awareness that's being brought that's not being brought right now. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, in my own way, um, so with, with Naked in Alaska, and the other work that I've created, it's not looking at that. But what it is looking at is how there is there there how we are human beings. Yeah. How we are human beings, and 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 the customers are human beings. Yeah. And the dancers are human beings. And you know what? Bad shit happens, and bad shit happens everywhere. Yeah, in every profession, in, in every, every industry. Yeah. And so what this, what I look at in the work is it happens to have taken place inside of these walls. Yeah. And maybe as a result of that, there were they were they were highlighted a bit more. It was a bit more extreme right. because of the nature of what takes place inside of there. But also in that extremeness is the extreme compassion, extreme empathy. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Extreme of my heart being ripped open both yeah. in dark and light and yeah. learning how to stand inside of that. Yeah. You know, learning how to stand inside of that so that I can be who I am today. And yeah, had I had a chance to do it all over again, I would have done it all over again. Yeah. In an instant. 100 percent. In an Same instant. Seas. Yeah. I danced for almost 18 years and it was That's like right. the best thing I ever did for my life. Yes. Yeah. So tell us what you're doing now. OK. So what I'm doing now, what I've been doing in the last couple of years is working with women, yes. helping them to yes, tell queen. their yes, – <laughs> queen, helping them to tell their um, wholehearted story from the inside out and bring it to the stage. 
And I've also been um, creating workshops for women. um, And those workshops have to do with um, really stepping into our bodies fearlessly. And, you know, we were talking about a minute ago um, and we're talking about um, those customers in the club and how um, people sometimes don't um, think that that's a part of dancing. What the word I wanted to use is intimacy, and mm-hmm. that's a huge, yeah. huge thing that um, was a thread throughout my experience dancing. And that sense of intimacy and grit is what I bring into my workshops with women. Okay, because I feel like there is still, still this uh, kind of tension and separation with one another and againstness. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think it's a fear of intimacy and vulnerability yeah. and really letting down what I call our devil fences mm. that we hold up to each other that we don't need to have. Right. Because actually that's what takes our power. That's what the, that's what actually um, strips us of what what our power really uh, ha- has the potential of of being. Yeah, and so I'm trying to develop these workshops for women where, and these ways of working one on one, where we can start to see that when one of us shines, all of us shine. Yeah. And when one of us is being sensual and is standing in her body, that can encourage the other one to be sensual and stand in her body. And how about we just all come together and start doing that more and more? Yeah. Yeah. For ourselves, for yeah. each other. Right. I love that. And how that can then transcend out when we're walking on the street. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> how we go about our day. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's a you beautiful know. vision. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how you live your life. That's how I live my life. Yeah, and so you help other people with their plays as well. You were yeah. you produced Dear Woman with Megan Rippey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One one of the that's she's one she's she's wonderful. Dear Woman is great. It's a wonderful show, and it's her experience of um, exotic dancing, looking through it through the lens of kind of like a dark fairy tale. Yeah, you know. Um, and so yeah, I work with I work with women who who have. Um, a theatrical piece or a story that they want to bring to the stage. Yeah. And I co-develop those pieces with them and I help them um, get fully into their bodies and understand how to do transitions and character work and vocal projection and nice. and bringing basically what I call the beast forward inside of themselves. Yeah. Um, to wake up everybody in the room with what their, with, with their story. Yeah. And connect it in universally so um so it's something that transcends transcends yeah um and that's something yeah it's really important so working on one woman shows doing workshops for women and creating continuing to create my own work yeah you know sound busy um i know (laughs) who isn't um hello i know (laughs) i know so many busy people (laughs) it's crazy (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us yeah. and for sharing like your vulnerable pieces and if if and there's no way anyone can really watch your play right now, am I right? I, I mean, mean, I can send a link. <laughs> um, I can send a Vimeo link. Um, yeah. you know, I actually have been um asked uh last year and this year uh to do the show and it's been they, like have it produced in, yeah and 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 i don't know 
but my body has been asking me if I could just like give it a break because okay. I've performed it 65 times. Oh my gosh. And it's around like the it's world. an hour and a half long, right? It's <laughs> yeah, like it's, basically a feature. It's a, yeah. Yeah. And, and it, you're the only I'm person the only acting person. in it. No and I'm pole kidding. dancing. 65 times. 65 times in yeah. different, you know, countries. And some of them, they didn't speak English and it was still transcended. Oh, you know, the message was still transcended because it's a physical piece. Yeah. I miss the show. I I want to do it again, but I have to figure out what is this kind of, you know. Yeah. If an opportunity came that was like, girl, okay, you can't refuse this. Yeah. I would definitely do it. But right now, I think I've really been tending to these other things. Okay. You know. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Some, 65 times is a lot. I know. Yeah. Want to be fabulous just like these strippers? Pay attention. It's stripper tips. So what are... My stripper tips. What's your stripper tip? Yeah. Okay, so for me, I, I think about that question and I think, what would I have told myself, my younger self? Okay. Knowing what I know now. Right. And I think, oh, God. <laughs> I think it's really deep for me because um as 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 much empowerment and joy and effervescence and life and grit and soul that I found through working in those clubs I also came to a point when I was working in those clubs where I stopped taking care of myself right where I started to leave my body where I started to not remember how I got home and I was clean and sober during those times, mm. where I started to fall back into um, self-destructive things like um, self-harm. Mm. And I think that I started to lose who I was and mm. I started to get confused. And I think that... Mm. If I was to look back there and I was looking, hovering over myself, I would say to her, take a step back. What do you need to do to really take care of Valerie mm-hmm. and get her emotionally, mentally, and physically back on track before you go back into those rooms? Because it, in a sense, it wasn't the room's fault. It was the place I let myself go because I had stopped taking care of myself, Mm -hmm. that the rooms affected me differently. Mm. And so whatever that may be, for me, in hindsight, that would have been been really uh, doing a lot of deep work. And some people don't like what I'm about to say, but... That would have been, I've been working with a somatic therapist for two years. Okay. And a somatic therapist is not like a, a talk therapist where they sit there and go like with their notepad. It's where you lay on a table. Yeah. And a, and the person is trained in actually tapping into parts of your body where trauma or, um, or, or shit that's not resolved is locked and stored. Huh. And it's a way of actually tapping into the body so that that part of the body that's been blocked and stored can speak. Nice. 
Can you say exactly what type of therapy that is again? Yeah, it's called somatic therapy. Somatic therapy. Somatic okay. somatic therapy. Nice. Um, and it's it's saved my life okay. in the past couple of years through stuff that's been coming up, and and that's something that I wish I would have known about then because I, unbeknownst to me at that time, was holding a lot of. Um, I would say trauma stories, blocked energy, other people's stories, mm-hmm. other people's trauma, wow. because it's like when we're dancing, um, a trained intuitive once told me, don't touch the customers with your fingertips because our fingertips is where we hold the most energy, good and bad. What? So dance with your fists closed. Oh, no. Yes. I'm not going to do that. Don't though. do that. But I, but the, 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 don't do that, but the, the what that is was right. it, I didn't do that either. Right. But what it gave me was a, a conscious awareness around the how much energy I take in yeah. that gets locked in my body and then I get confused on whose it is. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And then when I learned that there was this somatic practice and I laid on this table and this woman starts pushing into these parts where that's stored yeah and then it's released and then i start to feel freer and more balanced right so wow you know somatic therapy i would say writing in journals finding creative outlets um a lot of whatever your own self-care is um and trusting your body if you need a break if you if you need a night off being in tune right yes definitely Giving yourself the night off. Giving yourself because. the night off just yeah. because. And mm-hmm. staying awake. Staying awake. Don't go to sleep. Stay awake. Right. And your body. Stay your body. Stay awake. Because it, it actually, for me, if I look back, my body was trying to tell me all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And my mind was like, no, 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 you got to make money. Da, 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 da. Right, right, right. And my, yeah. my body was like, hey, you know what? No, I just need to actually lay in bed tonight. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing. Thank you. Okay. Somatic therapy. Yes. Get ready for our rapid fire question round. It's time for four for one. Okay, guys, let's do our four for one. So um, here we go. First question. Do you pee in the shower? Yes. My God, who doesn't? (laughs) How do you sleep at night? On my back, like this, with my (laughs) arms like this, like a fucking vampire angel. Yes. Have you ever told a secret you swore you would never tell? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) What's your favorite condom flavor? Oh, my God. Well, um, (laughs) fucking no. Let's see. (laughs) Um, Peppermint. (laughs) Well, it keeps your breath fresh. (laughs) That's right. Do they have peppermint flavored no condoms? I just made that up. I, I would too. No That's the thing. Yeah, just make it up. That was perfect. Um, Valerie, tell everybody how we can find you, follow okay. you, and find out more about you. Okay, yes. So you can find me at My Naked in Alaska on Instagram. And you can go to nakedinalaska.com. And if you want to watch Naked in Alaska, especially. Um, if you are a woman and you are a dancer or you are a former dancer, I would love if you wanted to watch it. And I'll send you the link and nice. you can watch it. And I highly recommend you doing so. I do too. It's a fabulous, fabulous play. Thank you so much for your work. 
Oh, and one more, one yes, more thing. What? And also you can go to <laughs> ValerieHager.com if you're interested in telling your story. Oh, nice. And you want to have support and um, another person who's been through it to help you get there. So that's where you can find out about Beautiful. that information. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much for being on the show Thank with you. us today. Yeah. Yes. Hey, guys, I just want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Yes, a stripper podcast. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube at Yes, a stripper podcast. And of course, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Yes, a stripper pod. Yes, a stripper podcast is produced by Mackenzie Mazel, Shelly Snyder, and yours truly, A.M. Davies. Be sure to email any questions or comments to Yes, a stripper podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow me personally, you can find me on Instagram at the Queen of Sexy. You can also check me out on my website, thequeenofsexy.com.